Good afternoon. Our first hymn this afternoon will be from the Hymns of Grace hymnal, number 81. And I just wanted to read one verse to you uh, in relation, in regard to that, the, the theme of that hymn, that I am His and He is mine. This is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, of the promises of the gospel. Jeremiah 24, 7. God says through the prophet, And I will give them a heart to know me, that I am Yahweh, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return unto me with their whole heart. And as this, you see the tense of the verbs here, it's future at the time that Jeremiah wrote. But what had to happen, or what happened that made this a reality? You're all nodding your heads. You know it's Jesus Christ paid the debt of our sin so that we would be accepted by God, reconciled to God, the enmity taken away. And now we can say with absolute confidence, not God will be my God, but God is my God. And I am his today. Number 81.
lead us in prayer, please. Amen. Please be seated and turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. I will read verses 1 through 19. Uh, There's such a feast in every verse, almost, in the Bible. Not everyone, but certainly from Jeremiah 24-7, it was a feast, but... uh, The Proverbs are quite intensively uh, rich. They stand alone almost verse by verse, but there are a lot of uh, paragraphs, if you will, uh, in the Proverbs. These are the Proverbs of Solomon. So um, we need to live up to our calling. uh, This is the education of kings. Princes would receive uh, this kind of instruction. It wasn't for the everyday uh, guy, the plowboy, until uh, those blessed men that uh, created the printed cross and made sure that the Bible got written for every plowboy. What a wonderful thing that is. But back then, uh, not everyone could read, not everyone could uh, have an opportunity to even go to school. But, so, what a wonderful treasure gift we have uh, just here uh, in the book of. Proverbs, the son of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. So it's the school of kings. They need to be interpreted. Interestingly enough, they don't just, uh, not always, don't necessarily jump out at us what God is uh, really teaching us in the passage. They need interpreted, verse 6, to understand a proverb and the interpretation. I know none of your versions have the interpretation. Uh, That's the King James. But these are parables. They're riddles. They're enigmas. I can't think of what other words you might have in there. But they need thought. They need explained um, oftentimes. So uh, may God give us the spirit of interpretation uh, as we go through this book. And then, first of all, or not first of all, thirdly, there is a requisite to coming to the book of Proverbs, and that is to separate yourself from sinners. And we're going to read about an example of, of that in this passage. My son, verse 10, if sinners entice you, do not consent. And so we need to be holy uh, as God is holy. And he, he speaks of this 
as the very foundation, the beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of Yahweh. And to fear Yahweh, you have to separate yourself from Yahweh's enemies. So with that, I will read from the NAS, NASB 95, um, verse uh, 1 through 19. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and instruction. A wise man will hear and increase in learning. A man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, there's another word, figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. And here he gives one example of the type of enticement that sinners give. We might need to plug in our own particular uh, situation in the culture that we live in, but it is not difficult to do to know when sinners are enticing you. And the solution is simple. Do not consent. Say no. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. And this, by the way, is the type of temptation that a young prince would be prone to. Notice uh, David's son, Adonijah, or someone like Absalom, uh, taking advantage of people. If they say, come, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole, as those who go down to the pit. We will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path, for their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed blood. Indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence and takes away the life of its possessors. We'll stop there and uh, take it up, the uh, personification of wisdom in verse 20 and, uh, and onward. For our next hymn, before John comes to uh, minister the word again, looking forward to that as we get to know him better, I can see that our hearts beat together around the word of God, and that's a wonderful thing. So it's good to have him come back this afternoon with us. Hymn number 622 in the Trinity hymnal, 622. 
suggested the psalm, and I am going to use Psalm 46 this, e- uh, this afternoon. When I suggested preaching from uh, this psalm, I said I know it is very familiar with a lot of people, and perhaps you have heard it preached on in the last few weeks, and uh, your pastor said, you know, I had just finished reading through the whole of the psalms, and if I counted right, that means you would have done Psalm 46 at least a uh, hundred Sundays ago. So uh, unless your memory is a lot better than mine, then uh, perhaps this will sound familiar and yet still instructive. Uh, I'm sure you are familiar uh, writing on your uh, wall up here at the front. You're familiar with this as the hymn that uh, Martin Luther drew from to pen that uh, song that we still sing today, uh, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And there is a good reason that it was, it was necessary for uh, God's people to recognize that because uh, living in a world that is at enmity with our God, those who cling to our God, we, we, we find we're in trouble sometimes. We're in trouble for the faith that we have. And even apart from what the world does, there is the sin in our own heart that sometimes drives us away from that comfort of the Lord that we serve. And we find ourselves in the process losing that sense of that sense of comfort, of strength that is necessary, uh, necessarily derived from our fellowship with God himself. So it is a good thing for us to, to pause from time to time, reflect on these psalms that the various psalmists have penned so that we will be able once again to find not just... Uh, that, that joy that we desire, that joy of our salvation that David speaks of, but we will find that strength and that courage to continue fighting the good fight that has been laid before us. We need a place of rest. We need a place where we can go and know that whatever is going on in our lives, we can settle there and know that we're on solid ground because the world is always moving while our, our God may be without variation, uh, a light that never changes, that's not true for you and me. We change because our world changes. And it is good to know that there is a place we can go and find that changeless God, always the same, always loving and caring for his people. So let us uh, take a look uh, this afternoon at a psalm that I have divided into three portions. Uh, Who is our God? Well, he is that mighty fortress. He is a refuge that calms all of our fears. He is described, at least as his dwelling place, as being in that city that cannot fail. And uh, ultimately, we are a people who have recognized that as our fortress, as our, our place of refuge, he is a God who saves, and I still like the King James best, 
He saves to the uttermost. There is no possibility of change with the God who has chosen you to be his child so that he would ever, ever leave us from his family. So let's begin with those first three verses, a refuge that calms from all of our fears, verses 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear Though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake as at its swelling pride. God is a mighty strength that is much needed by us in our fight against sin and against the world. And that strength that he offers us is for every situation that we can get into. I know if you're like me, there is always that temptation to say, oh, yes, it worked for David, and it worked for my mom and dad, and it worked for my friends from the church. My situation is different. It it doesn't matter. You, You are not going to surprise God by any temptation that you fall into, any foe that arises against you that you may come to fear There is nothing God already hasn't planned for you to be able to find a way out by trusting in him. Let others boast about their military weaponry, their robust economy, their disciplined minds, their good health as the reason why they enjoy a good life. Let them boast of that, but as the people of the one true God, our boast is in him and in him alone. We have no reason to claim anything for ourselves that is good and say, I've done this apart from God. In the end, when we trace it back, what we always see is the hand of God that is at work so that whatever storm we may encounter, he is our refuge. And when we flee to him, then we find peace. Then we find that calmness of heart and mind whenever weakness overtakes us so that we can't stand to fight anymore when our arms are too weary our mind is too confused we go to him and we find a store of inexhaustible strength the lord is not there for us in just a few selected instances it's not just when you're dealing with the jehovah's witness guy who comes to your door and you're trying to explain things to him it's not just when you're in those crisis situations of life Sometimes life and death, and you're asking questions and you're going to God for help. It's not just in those. In every situation where the world or the sin within you may cause you to question the goodness of God and his ability to help, he says, flee to me and you will find exactly what you need. He is our help truly, effectively, and constantly so that he is always by our side. When our friends... When even our family are not there to be able to help through no fault of their own, when they are not there, you can always trust the God who loves you is there and always will be. Because it is his strength, there is simply no trial too great for you to endure. How many of you have asked yourself sometimes, boy, if I were in that situation, I I don't think I could do it. We read about the martyrs for the Christian faith. We read about Christians in persecuted countries where the Christian faith is outlawed. And we say, 
I just couldn't do it. I couldn't stand firm in a place like that. Well, they can't either, not apart from the strength of God. And so we flee back to him again. We go to that place where we know we can find the strength needed. Hurricanes and tidal waves may rush in to destroy sometimes. Volcanoes and earthquakes may actually cause mountains to fall into the sea. Though the most stable of created objects falls into ruin, though, remember, you have an immovable foundation. No matter what happens, let the mountains fall into the sea. The place where you stand is Jesus Christ. He is that foundation for the church and for us as individuals, and there is no moving him. Neither heaven nor earth could do anything to move him, and so we can stand there and know we are where we should be. Through the most disastrous disturbances, the man of faith can stand calm and serene. Great men, bold men, brave men may stumble and fall like the mountains, but the most tender of God's saints, like the reed that is bending over just because the breeze blows, even the most tender of God's saints will stand will stand because his God is strong, not because he is strong. And that that is why this is not the boast of a fool. It is simply the quiet confidence of the child of God that his father says, I will protect you. I will hide you under my wings. I will care for you as none other can. He is the refuge that can calm all of our fears. And he is that one who, because he dwells there, has a place in our heavenly home that cannot fail. It is a place where the supply of grace never dries up. Notice those verses 4 through 7. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice, and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. In ancient times, the greatest fear of a city, a walled-in city, that fortress that people would flee to during times of war, their greatest dread was a siege where water was cut off. They had no access to food, no access to water, and no matter how much they had stored up, If the enemy stayed there long enough, they were going to run out of both. And that created, of course, a devastating, even a fatal end to the life of many. Well, in this city that the psalmist speaks of, there is a river with the water of life as clear as crystal running right down through the center of it. You remember that picture of the river that is given to us in the book of Revelation It starts off at the temple and it's already a life-giving water, but as it goes out and goes further and farther along, it just becomes broader and wider. And that is the grace of our God. That is that life-giving power that he has promised to us. It is a supply that comes straight from the throne of God so that we have grace for every day of life, for every good thing that we need. It is a place of undisturbed calm, and it is a place of undisturbed calm for a very good reason. God lives there. 
That, that is the hope that we have to look forward to in eternity and can enjoy to some extent even here in this world. The safety of the city does not reside in the height of the walls. It resides in the chief resident of that place, that one that has all power. No matter how many enemies gather outside the walls of this city, their power as individual enemies, their power as all the enemies of God combined into one, gathered against the people of God, still is no match for the power of the Creator who speaks all that exists into existence. This is the God that we serve. The enemy, no matter how strong, can no more topple the walls of this city that we flee to than they could move the earth out of its orbit simply by pushing against the ground. can't be done because the walls of this city cannot be destroyed. Should the enemy mount an attack, the Lord will be there in the morning, it says. And we go, ooh, what about at night? Well, the point of the psalmist's words here is simply that the Lord will be there to help at the first light of day. As another of the psalmists speaks of, that the night is short-lived, but then comes the day. Well, we're living in the night, but the day is coming, and I hope you have your eyes set on it, because sometimes the darkness of this world can get you so down and depressed that you just don't know if you can make it. We need to lift our sights just a little bit higher to that city that we are citizens of, that God has already written our name on its rolls. Sorrow and weakness may seem long, but it really is just a nighttime. And then the night ends, and the day comes. Our Lord will never leave us in darkness too long, and the Lord will never leave us alone at all. Yes, we will go through those sorrowful times, those times that we build up in our mind and we dread them, we see them coming and then they do, and it is as awful as we thought. But lo and behold, the grace of God descends, and as Paul puts it, it is an incomprehensible peace. Where does that come from? People say, how can can you make it through times like this? How do you do that? How do you still find a cause for rejoicing in situations like that? Well, our answer is very simple. We serve that God who truly is a mighty fortress. He keeps our souls safe and sound so that there is a peace that really is beyond understanding. We can't explain it, much less explain it to the unbeliever. The the uproar of the enemies can be heard sometimes, but they are felled. They are destroyed by the word that comes. They may be in an uproar. They may be enraged against God's people. And trust me, if you can't see that in the society we live in today, they hate God. They hate his people. And we may say to ourselves, how do you, how do you get away? I live here. This is, this is home for me. I can't seem to be able to escape. They may be enraged against us desiring nothing more than our demise. Or at minimum, just keep quiet. Keep your church stuff in the church where it belongs and leave the rest of us alone. It is discouraging. It can be depressing. But as they march towards the destruction of the saints, they may set the world on fire. They may bring turmoil with them at every step. 
Dismay and distress may grip the hearts of people in the pursuit of God's righteous people. That may all be true, but no matter the strength, the determination, the size of the army of the enemy who marches out against us, God simply lifts his voice and the enemy is destroyed. You ever noticed in the book of Revelation where there is a build-up and Armageddon is coming and, boy, you're, you're waiting for John to reveal the armies of God finally gathered together and they fight against the enemy and the enemy is destroyed. But that's not what happens. It just says all of a sudden it, it's almost like there's a break in the action. The Lord descends and that's the end. God's done with it. With that word who is our Lord Jesus Christ, with his return, we find that all those enemies that frightened us so much turn out to be nothing at all. They are nothing for us to be afraid about. The omnipotent God stands against them. The Lord of the hosts of heaven is there to fight for us. How true Luther's words were in in his hymn, one little word shall fail them. That word is spoken, and the war is over. We have won the victory because we stand in Christ, the victor over all of his enemies. God, this God who can calm our fears, this God who cannot fail, is the, the one who promises, and he always keeps his promises, to save us to the uttermost. There is a call to consider the evidence of his great power. There in the 8th through the 11th verse, Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. In the aftermath of the battle, the people of God are told, hey, look at what's happened. Do you see what God has done? And it has happened often through history when it seemed the odds were stacked against the church. And the only hope we had is that we had a Savior who told us, hell The gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. And suddenly, the persecution was gone. It would arise again later on. We do live in a world that is still subject to the whims of sinful men sometimes. But the church would always find in that hour of greatest need, the greatest exhibition of God's power was evident yet again. We would do well to note the downfall of God's great enemies And so remember his power that is available to us. Let us fix our mind on these victories, for they assure us that God is supremely able and supremely desirous to save his people, and thus they will be saved. That tenth verse gives us that summons to bow in quiet reverence and worship. Yes, of course, there are those times for joyful singing, to raise our voices in praise to the God who has saved us, to, to express in some manner that, that, that uh, comfort and joy that we feel inwardly. But 
There are just as many times, perhaps more, when the best thing that we can do if we are to worship God is simply to bow quietly before him. To say, I I have nothing to say except somehow or another I want to express my gratitude for what you have done and show you that I truly am a, a, a child of yours, trusting in your name, having served surveyed that power of God and his victory over the enemies makes us more ready to trust him the next time. If you're like most people, you look, you pray to God in faith, God will save me from this. Somehow or another he will get me through. I just don't see see how. And we find, we find a, a quivering in our heart, an uncertainty about the future that makes us wonder, you know, what 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 can happen? How can God do it? I just don't see. But we see him save us. We see him deliver us from our troubles. And then the next time, what do we do? We find ourselves in the same situation. It's because we don't meditate often enough on those victories that have come in our life. We haven't, perhaps, if you're younger, you haven't seen it often enough. But I guarantee you, by the time you're my age, you've seen them over and over and over again. How God comes just in the nick of time sometimes, it seems. Sometimes I'd like to say, God, do I really need to go through the stress? Can, can we just do this a little bit earlier than last time? God knows what is best. God, God understands our needs better than we do, and he delivers us at the right moment. In the heat of the next battle, when our resources are depleted and our direction towards the future is very confused in our minds, remember... If there's nothing you can do, if you can't see anything in Scripture that says, hey, do this right now, if you're just left to a blank picture for what the future holds, that's all right. Be like the children of Israel at the Red Sea. What did God do? Did he say, man, those Egyptians are right over there. If you'll muster your strength, you can go and fight them and there's going to be victory. No, he says, stand still and see my salvation. That is what we need to do. We need to stop and stand still sometimes, reflect on the glory of the God that we serve, and say, wow, if he can do what he's done before, and I have no reason to doubt that, I'm okay. I'm okay with whatever the future brings. There is no need for panic. There is no need for unrelieved sorrow because our Deliverer is with us every step of the way. There is praise that is offered, praise that God's power is exercised on our behalf. Let us rejoice and praise God for the victories that we have already seen, for the, for the faith that God has kindled within us, knowing that he will do whatever is necessary to give you more tomorrow and the next day and all the ones that follow. The Lord Almighty, the omnipotent Lord of the heavenly host, he is our refuge. He is our fortress in our days of need. And, as I heard someone wise person talking about during lunch, if the Lord is truly for us, what difference does it make who our enemy is? Really, what difference does it make? He is our God, our Deliverer, our Savior. Who can stand against us? Again, as... Luther said, the body they may kill, but God's truth abides still. What truth? The gospel truth. 
the gospel truth that says it is not your works, your promises to be good, your determination to be a church every Sunday, your giving to the church. It is not witnessing to the people so that you can say to God, see how much I've done for you. God says again and again and again to us, it's my power, my love, my salvation, and thus you do not have to worry about what is coming. The kingdom of God is forever. And what does that mean to us? Well, it means since our names have been inscribed in the blood of Christ on those rolls of heaven, our home is forever. We will be with him. And whatever darkness, whatever doubts we have, whatever questions may seem unanswered to us and unanswerable, God says, you will be with me for eternity. And he will teach us. He will teach us. We will praise him. And yes, while as a child, I remember always thinking, boy, won't we get tired of singing those praises? The older I get, the more I know, no, we will not grow weary of it because our God, his greatness is unfathomable to us now. And you know what? In a million, two million, ten million years, whatever measure of time we have while we are there has passed, we will find he's still unimaginably great. And we will continue to learn of him and our hearts will be filled And our future will be nothing but one filled with the glory of his love for those people that he gave his son to save. May we bow in prayer. Our Father, we are grateful because maybe it is true of every generation. Maybe there is never really a time of peace that the church can just sit back for a while. But whether that is true or not, Father, we have... We have a fortress we can always run to. And it is not really a place. It's not the church building. It's not our prayer closet somewhere. Because you are everywhere. And you are with us always. How grateful we are as your people that we need not fear the future. Because we have a God. Well, a God in whose hands the future lies. And you have promised us. You have promised us that you are preparing it for your people for an eternity of joy when we stand before you to enjoy the presence of the one who has given us so much. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you are dismissed. I think.